Welcome to the Human Flourishing Project. I'm Alex Epstein. I'm recording this on December 20th, so it's probably the last episode of the year. And it's been an interesting year. I hope that you've had an overall good year. Obviously, it's been more difficult in many ways to have a good year this year than it has been in previous years, particularly the combination of COVID-19 plus lockdowns. I know that's been difficult for a lot of people. It's been difficult for me in various ways, but nevertheless, 2020 was a year of our lives. We only have so many of these years, so I hope that you made quite a bit of it. Today, I want to talk about an issue that has helped me a lot in 2020. It's something I've thought a lot about in 2020, and it's probably my my proudest area of progress in 2020. And this is the issue of focus. So today I want to talk about six kinds of focus. And I'll summarize them now, and then I'll go into them. So the six are going to be, number one, focusing on a high value and meaningful market. Number two is going to be focusing on an area of comparative advantage. Number three is focusing on the most valuable few projects. Number four is focusing on performing your work. Area number five is focusing on inevitably productive processes. And number six is focusing on your progress. So before I get into those, just a little bit of background on focus. One fascinating thing is if you listen to interviews of people like Steve Jobs, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, many of the highest achievers, when asked what's the key to your success, they will say focus. Now, what is focus? Focus, I think, a useful definition for the purposes we're talking about here, which is primarily in productive activity, is to pay particular attention to, to the exclusion of other things. So to pay particular attention to, to the exclusion of other things. So you're you're focusing on one thing or one aspect of things to the exclusion of other things. And one thing that has haunted me over the years is I've seen how focusing in certain ways helps me, but I've also felt, man, I am not as focused as would be ideal. There's a there's a great short interview with Johnny Ive. It's something like three or three and a half minutes. If you just search Johnny Ive, J-O-N-Y space I-V-E, Vanity Fair on YouTube. I'm sure it's still up. He just talks about what he learned from Steve Jobs and One of the things he talks about is focus and just how focus to jobs meant not just not doing something that you didn't really want to do. It meant thinking something is a great idea and every part of you wants to work on it, but then there's something you want to work on even more. And that's what you're focused on. So there's there's a lot of reason to think that this idea of focus, there's there's a lot to learn and a lot to apply, and I, I find it helpful to divide it up into some of the areas that I'm talking about uh, today. Now, I mentioned that in 2020, I've gotten better at this, and I, I do think, for me, this is one thing where I, I did a bunch of episodes about how to make the most out of disruptions, and some of the things I'm going to talk about were definitely induced by 
the disruption of things. I had a bunch of disruptions, disruption to my business model, uh, to some extent, you know, at least temporarily disruption to cash flow, which is related to disruption to business model. And I think part of part, one of the, the potential benefits of that is it just, is it, it can make us open to new approaches and it can sometimes force a certain kind of focus in that insofar as you're doing things that are taking a bunch of resources and not paying off as much as might be uh, appropriate if you're going to spend time on it, uh, financial difficulties can certainly help with that thing. But I'm not going to focus too much on, no pun intended, on the impetus for these things this year, because some of them are this year, some of them are in previous years, some of them are just general things. Uh, but I, I, I will mention it occasionally. So that's part of the context for why this is a big issue. Okay, let's jump in to the different kinds of focus. So number one is focusing on a high value and meaningful market. Now, this is not usually what people are thinking about when they're thinking about focus. It's often focusing on like your your specific work activity, on performing that activity, which I'll talk about as uh, as number four. But it's interesting that that paying attention to one thing to the exclusion of others definitely applies to just what area are you being productive in? And you can think that in certain areas, there's this combination of a high value market. So there are people, whether it's a small group of people who are willing to pay a lot or just a lot of people who value it. So in the aggregate, they'll pay a lot. There's a combination of that. And then it's meaningful to you. So you really care about that market. You care about fulfilling aspirations, solving problems in that area. Uh, this is something I thought about a lot when I heard, when, when, among the many times I've listened to the Steve Jobs 1995 interviews, particularly, I believe it's the, there are two really good 1995 interviews. I believe it's the Lost interview, which it's it's occasionally available on the different kinds of streaming platforms, and I think you, you can buy it. So Steve Jobs, the Lost interview, and he talks about his early collaborations with Steve Wozniak. And I think these involve almost all the types of focus I'm going to talk about today. Uh, but one is they just had this, this market that they really believed there was a lot of value in, in terms of being able to offer first computing uh, hardware, but specific, and then later software. And then initially, a lot of it was offering computer hardware in such a way that you don't have to be a hardware person, but you can do software. And they saw a lot of value there. And they also saw that it was meaningful to them. And that is a really good combination, but it's not an inevitable combination. It's easy to go both ways. It, one can say, oh, well, I'm going to do something that's meaningful to me, but the way in which I'm doing it, there's not much of a market. And that has a lot of hazards to it. Now, it, you can say for sure, hey, there's a small market and I'm going to do really great, and I'm going to live at the level that I want. If you can make that work, that's great. For your purposes, that's a high-value market and certainly a meaningful market. But I think sometimes people have the tendency to just say, hey, this is what I want to do, and then if I do it, there will be some sort of uh, market for it. Also, just when you're thinking about different jobs, some fields are growing fields, some things, some fields are, are shrinking fields, and I, when thinking about meaning, I think it's important to integrate it pretty closely with, is this, uh, you know, is this high value in, in that, in the sense of, 
other people because we're in, we're in a division of labor society where we're trading. So just thinking about, hey, are there people who really value this? So if I do, if I perform this kind of activity that is going to create value for them and that I find enjoyable and, and meaningful, is that like could that work really well? And if you can think of something where if I do my job really well, if I do my work really well, there's a lot of people who are going to value it. That is a kind of focus that can lead to really good results. And in my own life, I've found the focus on energy to be very valuable. Energy, energy policy as a field, just I didn't, now I didn't really expect, when I got into it, I was just really interested in it. And I was interested in it in a more philosophical sense of this, oh, I see how valuable this is to human life. But in part, because I saw how valuable it was to human life, or that that realization is closely related to, oh, well, there's a multi-trillion dollar industry there. And there and there, of course, all kinds of people who, who are using the, you know, who are consumers of this industry, whether residential consumers or, or you know, it's, let's just say personal consumers or industrial consumers. And then it's a big issue that uh, people in government are interested in. So it was something where, yeah, it meant a lot to me, it still does, but it's also there's a high value market. So working hard, doing really good work in it can have real financial rewards. And I think that's very important. So that's one kind of focus where, and with each of these, you can think about, okay, each one of these helps the others. And sometimes a lack of this can really undercut the other. So if you imagine, okay, I'm do I'm really focused on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm focused on my progress. I'm focused on just a few projects here. I'm doing the processes that make me most productive. Uh, it's something I'm particularly good at in terms of comparative advantage, which I'll talk about next, but it's not a high value and meaningful market. Well, all of those can really be undercut. And I think we'll see the same for all of these things. Any Getting any one of these wrong enough can be really harmful overall, and then getting any one of them right enough can have a significant, significant amplifying effect on everything else you're doing well. So that's number one, focusing on a high value and meaningful market. Number two, focusing on an area of comparative advantage. So I'm, I, I've talked about on the show, I'm a big fan of the program Strategic Coach and the creator, Dan Sullivan. He and people in, like, in that program like to talk about unique ability. So this is the thing that this is not an official definition, but this is the thing that you do really well and that you enjoy doing. And you could think of that as an example of comparative advantage. And so comparative advantages, this is the, it's something that you are relatively speaking or comparatively speaking, uh, best at. So the example I think of a lot, which I learned in some economics book a long time ago is Thomas Edison. So in a sense, Thomas Edison might be the most productive person at a whole bunch of activities of people around him. So he might be a better janitor than his janitor, but his comparative advantage is in invention or is in managing or directing invention, whatever it or could be you know, multiple of these. But the more one focuses on the thing that I'm particularly good at, the more leverage on one's time and also the more conduciveness there is to building a team around you, whether it's people you're hiring or just people you're collaborating with and building a team where you take advantage of their comparative advantages, which is so much of how just the modern world works is we we are good at one thing or particularly good at one thing. And then we do 
a lot of that thing. And then other people who do other things are, do those really well. So in, in, in my work, I think that in, in energy, let's just focus for now. I think my comparative advantage is clarifying issues in that take, you know, thinking through an issue for myself and then figuring out how to explain it clearly to others that, and, but particularly the figuring out how to explain it clearly to others. Now there are other things that are involved in my work. So sometimes there's a certain amount of figuring out theoretical things. There's a certain amount of research. There's a certain amount of uh, science and other kinds of technical issues. And what I find works best. And then there's things like editing and, um, you know, finding really, it is related to research, but finding really good stories. And what I find is that my work goes best when I'm doing more of the clarifying and then I bring in other people to help me with certain things. So if I bring in a researcher or I bring in a really good philosopher to help me think some of the things through, then I can bring in their comparative advantage in those aspects of the overall process that 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 is their comparative comparative advantage, and then I can focus more time on doing what I do best. So, for example, when I am, I've been doing a lot of creation of talking points lately, which you can see at the website energytalkingpoints.com. And one thing I do there is I have researchers look for certain kinds of information for me, and also to find what are the best arguments that people are making right now on this issue. And then when when they are able to amass that, it makes it a lot faster for me to think the things through and then for me to come up with my own clarifying explanation because coming up with the clarifying explanation is my comparative advantage. And of course, fill in your own thing. Comparative advantages, there's a reason why this is a fundamental principle of economics. So focusing on comparative advantage can be in just so high leverage and then not focusing on comparative advantage, well, then you're just totally selling yourself short in terms of what your productive ability can do. So if, if you have some incredible comparative advantage as an investor and picking out, or let's just even say it's picking out startups that will be really productive, uh, but then your time is spent, uh, you know, maybe you're, you're, working at a firm where they're not doing that, or you're even working at a firm where they are doing that, uh, but you're not doing that part of it, you're doing the mailroom. So that could be a path to it, but you just recognize at the time, hey, you know what, I if I'm actually really good at this right now, I'm not using my comparative advantage. So I need to figure out a way to get to, to be using my comparative advantage, comparative advantage, whether it's you know going through the mailroom or something Else. And, and once you get to that point of you've now part of it is you develop this comparative advantage initially and over time. But when you start getting to that point where you're in this high value and meaningful market and you're in your area of comparative advantage, even if you're not all that focused in your, your productive activity, which I'm not advocating that, but you can do so much just because you've already hit those two first focus boxes. So that's focusing on an area of comparative advantage. And sometimes it's multiple, but whatever it is, that is a, whether it's one or two or three, it's really important to be thinking about comparative advantage. So number three is focusing on the most valuable few projects. And this is one where I've struggled a lot, uh, over the years, 
but it's just, it's just a fact that you only have so much time and even within a high value and meaningful market, and even within an area of comparative advantage, there are going to be certain things that are disproportionately valuable. It may not be that there's just one thing. It may be that there's just one thing. If you're a novelist or something like that, that you maybe your, your main project is always a novel, and then there are certain ancillary things that go along with that. But it's if it's more than three, that's really hard to uh, to justify. Now, it, if you're working for somebody else and they're assigning you 10 different things, then fine. But still, I'll bet there are one or two or three of those that are much more valuable than the others. And the more you can be focusing on the most valuable few projects, the better. So if we go back to the Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, they had the high value and meaningful market. They're focusing on areas of comparative advantage. Wozniak was this brilliant engineer. And then Steve Jobs was this brilliant uh, product guy and salesman in the you know the very broadest and I think best sense. And so they're focusing on what they do best within this high value and meaningful market. And then they're very good at just focusing on one or two things at a time. And there's this semi-famous story when Steve Jobs came back to Apple that he just dramatically simplified the product line into basically four types of Macintosh computers. There was one performance uh, portable computer and one consumer portable computer. And then there was one performance desktop computer and then one consumer desktop computer, the first one of which was the iMac, which was a very big deal. And I actually remember I got that that right before I went to Duke, the iMac came out. So that was my that was my first computer in uh, in college. Not that that's that's that fascinating and an anecdote come to think of it. So let's Let's move on. But the the most valuable few projects, yeah, if you think about it, if you're in this the right market and you're using your comparative advantage, well, you're going to be even more leveraged if you're taking the most valuable few projects. This takes a lot of discipline, uh, a lot of saying no, and a lot of sometimes creative thinking about, okay, how do I... Like, how do I structure things so that I can just work on the most valuable few things without getting into too many details of my own situation? This year, I was able to be the most focused ever, at least end up the most focused ever, uh, because I figured out a, you know, I figured out a business model in my consulting work where I could be doing content creation that's like content creation for the general public that's. In, largely in my voice. In the past, a lot of my consulting work had been behind the scenes. It either wasn't things I would talk about publicly or it just couldn't be in my voice because it was for some specific company and so it'd be inappropriate for me to talk about it. And I felt like I was getting sp- split up a lot with projects that were kind of one-time projects where I would do a good job on it, but then I would be moving on to the next thing. So I wasn't accumulating as much skill. And also, if it was behind the scenes, I wasn't accumulating any capital in terms of recognition for my ideas. And this year, I came up with a way of doing consulting that enabled me to do stuff for the public on issues I'm really interested in, and at least often for me to publish some of the material in my own voice. And that's some of what you see on energytalkingpoints.com. But the ability to build a business model around that was just totally transformative to the point where with my energy work, I have my... been finishing up this uh, this book. So I'm writing a book for the general public and then these talking points for the general public. And with each of them, I'm able to just to grow and they all, they're just very reinforcing. And so I'm just, I feel like I'm spending a huge amount of time 
on the, these projects, just doing these things that keep building and keep building and my knowledge is getting better and my different skills are getting better and recognition is getting uh, greater. And there's just so many things that I would have accepted six months ago, different kinds of different custom projects and stuff that now I would just say, no, I don't need to do that. And I'm just going to keep focusing on my valuable few projects. So more you can focus on the valuable few, they're going to be disproportionately high leverage. You're going to get better results. Okay. Number four, focusing on performing the work. Now I just talked about this in the last episode, so I'd highly recommend if you haven't heard it already, listening to the episode on performance time versus feedback time. I'll just give a, a, quick summary of performing the work, which largely has to do with those concepts. It's just that when I'm, when I have a work day, that's so I can say I have a work day, but what am I actually doing during that work day? And as much as possible, I've picked those valuable few projects. I've had this comparative advantage. I have this high valued meaningful market, but am I actually doing the work? And am I doing it in a focused way where I'm, I'm doing one thing at a time, most of the time, and then I'm doing it to the best of my ability. And this is where performance time and feedback time comes in, as well as issues of other kinds of distraction. The more I know how to structure my time so that I get many, many blocks of time where I'm just really operating at a high level, uh, the better. And there is so much leverage for most people here just to figure out how to manage things so that you can just have these blocks of time where your mind is really working well. So you, you spend all this effort to be focused in these other ways. And now you want to just have this confidence that you can just, when it, when the time comes to perform, you can perform. So there's, there's, I talk about in performance time and feedback time, a little bit of relevant stuff at least is in the episode before that on how to spend time. There's the issue of time blocking and then what I call life blocking. So you might want to check that out as well. Time blocking, as I've talked about in the past, is very relevant here because if you can block everything out in a way that you know in advance that you have everything blocked out and then you can you can just know what to do and when, that makes it incomparably easier to focus in those moments. Number five, focusing on inevitably productive processes. This is also something I've discussed in a recent episode on episode 82, where I, I talk about the different elements of relaxed productivity and I talk about inevitably productive processes. So this is one where even within, okay, you've got all these other boxes checked. So you're, you're also, you're set up so that you can just perform but even within the ways that you can perform where your mind is really focused, there are going to be different types of processes that you can engage in that tend to be more or less likely for them to help you uh, achieve your goal. So just to make it concrete, in my case, I've talked about before when I'm editing, there's a certain type of editing process that has very high reliability. It's almost inevitably productive. And this involves editing with a certain detail of outline and editing with the text on my screen. And I find that when I do that, I will inevitably make progress. I had a slightly painful reminder of that today because I had I was editing a chapter and I was thinking about it at a high level. 
and I thought, oh, you know what? I'm, I just want to think about this chapter at a high level and the structure at a high level. And I was looking at the draft a little bit, but I was a little bit detached from it. I thought, oh, no, this is going to be valuable. And it's some, that sometimes works, but it sometimes doesn't. And in this case, it would have been better, all things being equal, to just get in the draft and to maybe write down my overall ideas quickly, but then to just get in there and do one section at a time in the way that's inevitably productive, because I know when I do that, I can solve any problem. It doesn't mean that it's will 100% it's guaranteed to be as fast as something I just came up with, but, and I'm always happy to experiment with things, but nevertheless, most of the time, at least for the type of work I want to do, I want to be focusing on what's the inevitably productive way of approaching this. I don't want to just do too much experimentation on the fly because that if I'm doing too much experimentation, I'm just spending a lot of time where I'm not doing, where I'm not really just getting a ton done. Whereas I know that if I, with certain kinds of things, if I write in a certain way, if I edit in a certain way, that that's, that's money in the bank. A thing related to inevitably productive processes, which you can think of this way, is any kind of inevitable rejuvenative processes. So anything that helps you automatically rejuvenate. I've become a big fan of Wim Hof breathing this year. I find that in terms of the morning, I've never found anything that's so good in terms of inevitable rejuvenation. Particularly, I talked about last week. This is relevant because I talked about I do my feedback time early in the day. I've still been doing that and getting really good results. And it'll occasionally be, I have, last week I had one morning where almost say 75% or 80% of the different kind of work, the stuff I was processing in terms of email and other messages, it it was negative. There were a bunch of things that didn't go my way. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is this is a mess. Like I'm I'm confronting all this stuff at once. But A, it was good to just confront it all at once and then just get it out of the way. And then B, I do my Wim Hof breathing. I do my brief cold shower or I do a cold portion of the, the overall shower, I should say. And wow. It's just so rejuvenating. Or I've talked about, I have this thing I call the Seinfeld nap in the middle of the day. And particularly these days, because I've been, my afternoon afternoons have been much more productive. I just find that, oh, this is this is a perfect thing like for me to do this at noon, not noon, but I do it at one or one fifteen every day. It's just, it's just money in the bank. This works. And so having those kinds of inevitably productive processes is so conducive to just getting stuff done day in, day out, at the highest level you can. The final focus, I'm sure there are more, and f- feel free to email me, alex at alexepstein.com, and suggest more, but the one I want to focus on here, finally, is focusing on your progress. And I'd refer you to episode three of the show on the positive focus, which is a, a term, another term by Dan Sullivan, where I talked about that idea. The, So I'll just summarize here what I mean by focusing on your progress, which means particularly in the short term, although long-term is also important, but particularly in the short term. So on a day-to-day basis, sometimes even within the day, think about where did I make a gain today? So it can be if something goes really well, it feels like it goes really well, or if it doesn't go well, you can you can do diagnostic about how could it have gone better that that's valuable too but here i want to focus on at least do here's what here here is the victory here's what i did here's why it's important here's what i can do to make further progress in this area here's the next action i can take to make that progress just that has an incredible property 
of focusing you on what's working, focusing you on just positive feelings, like the satisfaction of growth is an incredible form of satisfaction that we want to take uh, advantage of. And then we're, it helps us to learn more quickly. It just leads to this for momentum, uh, including motivation, which is a really big deal. So I find that when I'm fo- focusing on my progress and thinking about that and always every day thinking about, hey, how did I make progress? And then I, I do the weekly one uh, basically every week where I do at least 10 positive focuses for the week. And I just think, hey, here's and it, it applies all through life, not just 10 work, but it can be everything combined adds up to 10. You just think, wow, I really made a lot of progress. And guess what? I feel a lot more motivated to do the next thing versus, oh, here's how I screwed up and that's it. And I need to do better and just feels too disciplinary and not motivating enough. So those are the six kinds of focus that I think are very, very helpful to be a focused person who has a huge amount of leverage with their productive time. So once more, it's focusing on a high value and meaningful market, focusing on an area of comparative advantage, focusing on the most valuable few projects, focusing on performing the work, focusing on inevitably productive processes, and focusing on your progress. So if you can do more of that in the next year, I think you'll enjoy your work more and you'll get a lot more done. As we head into the new year, at least as I conclude this episode heading into the new year, this is uh, not exactly the topic that I've been talking about, but I keep meaning to mention two resources that have helped me a lot this year, which you could potentially take advantage of. I have no sales incentive for any of this, by the way, but these are two people who've offered me services that I've benefited from, particularly in the realms of uh, fitness and health. So one is since I think about May, uh, my longtime friend, uh, Chad Morris, who runs a very high-end gym in West Hollywood that's very known for high-intensity training, and that's training where you get arguably the best possible workout, and you also get it in a very short amount of time, and it is very challenging, but he has offered, he he figured out a really good way to do that over Zoom, and so in May, I started doing it, and that has been an amazing benefit. It's just, it's kept me healthy and in shape, even when I went long stretches without doing any kind of jujitsu, no matter what, I've just been doing Wednesday at two o'clock, been doing that workout with him, and I'll just say it is, it's very worth it. It is very challenging though. So he's, he's very good at walking you through it. Now it is, is very safe. That's one of the things he does really well. But if you're thinking, oh, this is going to be like a light aerobic thing, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother. But if you're in a situation where you could benefit from having a weekly personal trainer over Zoom and just getting in one amazing workout a week that'll have benefits throughout the week and then benefits throughout your life, you might want to check him out. I have no idea actually what his situation is in terms of how many he's accepting, but I'm guessing he'll, he can accept at least a few. So you can contact him at chad at myogenics.com. So myogenics is M-Y-O-G-E-N-I-C-S.com. That's chad at myogenics.com. M-Y-O-G-E-N-I-C-S. I think the myogenics is some Greek origin. The other person is a guy named Miles Lucas, M-I-L-E-S space uh, L-U-K-A-S. And his website is breath.fitness. 
and he and these I got into Wim Hof stuff this year, including Wim Hof breathing, and he's a certified instructor who has been really good at offering Zoom lessons. So I've taken a couple of Zoom lessons from him, and it really helped me understand uh, the Wim Hof breathing, the Wim Hof ice baths. So I, I've not done much of the ice baths, but at least I get them and I've had the experience of doing them. But certainly the breathing, I'm applying what I've learned from him all the time. So if you go to breath.fitness, he offers a whole bunch of uh, different things. If, if Particularly if Wim Hof breathing seems interesting to you, that may be a good route and you want some personalized instruction. The other thing about Wim Hof breathing though is there is a really good tutorial on YouTube for free. So if you just search Wim Hof, it's W-I-M space H-O-F, there's uh, Wim Hof the tutorial, which is about 10 minutes, and the Wim Hof guided breathing which is about 10 or 11 minutes. And both of those are really good. I use that guided breathing, his guided breathing uh, almost every day. So if, if you haven't tried Wim Hof, I would say spend 20 minutes, 25 minutes total to learn it and to practice it once. That would definitely be uh, a worthwhile use of time unless you're just totally happy with all of your rejuvenation activities. So again, Chad Morris is the first one for the high intensity workouts at a distance. Uh, chad at myogenics.com and then miles lucas his website is breath.fitness so hopefully that helps some of you and whether that specific thing does or not i know that focus is something that can help all of us so i hope you enjoyed learning about at least my perspective on the six kinds of focus i'm going to try to get even better at them in the next year i'm really glad i've gotten better at them in 2020 and I'm looking forward to a more focused 2021. Whatever happens in 2021, the more focused we can be in our productive activity, uh, the more successful we will be. So if this is my last episode of the year, which it probably will be, thanks to everybody for listening. I started this in August of 2018. I get a lot of positive feedback on it. Uh, I know a lot of you have told me you've benefited from it, and I have benefited a lot from being able to share my ideas, uh, develop my ideas, clarify my ideas. So I'm really glad I have a good community who is interested in these issues and who responds positively to me talking about them. So I will continue to do this as long as that is the case. All right. Happy New Year, everyone. Until 2021, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been the Human Flourishing Project.